0: And we're finishing our time in Jonah this week. We've been here around Easter time uh, because Jesus explains his own death and resurrection as the sign of Jonah. And so we have looked at the life of Jonah. We have looked um, at God's work in his life, at what God called him to do, how he failed at doing that, and how God restored him, redeemed him, renewed him, and worked through him um, as a way for us to learn about Jesus, to learn about the gospel And uh, so we come now to the final chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter for us. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. Hear now the word of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than one hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's pray. Father, would you help us in this story that has plants and worms and east winds and a lot of people and cows? um, We need your help. We believe, we trust, we come in the confidence that this is your word to us and that this is a good word to us, that it is beautiful and that it is powerful. And that you have given it to us to help us to know you. To help us to live lives in response to you. But we admit that we are not sufficient for that. We come deeply in need of your help. Of your spirit. To open our eyes and ears. To receive what you say. And be transformed by it. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beauty invites participation. Beauty invites participation. I was at a concert this week, and it was on the classical music end of the music spectrum. And usually classical music concerts are very quiet, organized events, right? The the musicians play, and then the audience claps when the musicians stop playing. But I noticed something at this concert. There were moments when the ensemble would release the final notes of the piece of music. In that silence between the end of the music and the beginning of the applause, people vocally responded to what they heard. I, I can't think of a better word to describe it other than grunts. People grunted in response to the music that they had heard. Why? Because beauty invites participation. When we hear something beautiful, when we see something beautiful, when we experience something beautiful, we, there is something in us that longs to be a part of it. Not just to appreciate it, but to participate in it. The strange and beautiful story of Jonah invites our participation this strange and beautiful story that ends talking about cows invites us to become a part of it. You see, because in the end, this story is a story about God. It is a story about His character. It is a story that reveals who He is, and as it reveals Him in all of His beauty... It invites us to become a part of his purposes. It invites us to join the beauty of his mission in the world. And so I want to ask a couple of questions here about the end of the book of Jonah. I want to ask what and how. Uh, So in what does God invite us to participate? And how can we respond to his invitation? So first of all, what? And what does God invite us to participate? It's interesting, isn't it, that the book of Jonah doesn't end with chapter 3. I mean, think about the story. God calls, Jonah runs. God pursues, God calls again. Jonah goes, Jonah preaches, Nineveh repents, God forgives. That's a great story, right? Happy ending. It seems like the story should stop there. But it doesn't. Right? It goes on into chapter 4, and as we read, some of you were laughing, it's a very strange and odd chapter. Why? Why doesn't the book of Jonah end with chapter (coughs) 3? Well, remember, there's an unsolved mystery from chapter 1. There's an unanswered question from chapter 1. We have never found out why Jonah ran in the first place. You remember that? God calls Jonah, and Jonah runs, but, but nobody tells us why he runs. And chapter 4 is about that why. Chapter 4 is about why Jonah runs from God's call on his life. Because when Jonah sees Nineveh repent, and when he sees God forgive Nineveh and God spare Nineveh, and God give life to Nineveh. That, for Jonah, is not a happy ending. And so he comes to God in chapter 4, angry. With a prayer that starkly contrasts with his prayer in chapter 2. He comes to God, now angry, and he says, I knew it. I knew you were like that. I knew that you would do that. And then he quotes from Exodus chapter 34. This confession of faith about who God is. Compassionate, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, relenting of disaster. This comes from the book of Exodus. And it a confession that rings throughout the Old Testament. And as it is repeated throughout the Old Testament, it takes on the expectation that God is like that not only with His people, but that God will be like that with the nations as well. That He will be a God of mercy and compassion, not only to Israel, but to all of creation. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says that the ships of Tarshish, the ones that took Jonah away from God, will one day bring their riches to God. And they will know God's mercy and know His compassion. And they will join in the worship of His people. And that's why Jonah runs. Jonah runs because he knew that God would show mercy and compassion to Nineveh. He runs. He is angry because of who God is. That's Jonah in chapter 4, but what is God in chapter 4? Well, God is going after the why. Of Jonah, God goes after, he seeks to change the why of Jonah's running. And he seeks to change, in this chapter, he wants to change Jonah's nose. It's interesting, the word for anger in this text uh, means literally burning of the nose. And it's in a common way that the Old Testament talks about anger, burning of the nose. Because why? When many of us get anger, angry, what happens? Our faces turn red, right? Our cheeks and our noses turn red. They burn. And so that's the way that this text in the Old Testament talks about anger. And so Jonah here, in response to what God has done, is burning. His nose is burning. But what about God's nose? Well, in the confession of verse 2, it says that God is slow to anger. And that phrase literally means long of nose. Jonah says, God, I know that you are a God who has a long nose. Why? Because if you have a long nose, it takes longer for the blood to get to the tip of the nose and for it to turn red and start to burn. So do you see what God is doing with Jonah as he pushes on Jonah's anger here? As he says, do you do well to be angry? He's asking Jonah, why doesn't your nose look like mine? Why doesn't your nose look what mine, like, like mine? God is inviting Jonah into God's own character. He is inviting Jonah's heart to participate in God's heart. He wants Jonah, and not only Jonah, he wants his people to reflect his character. And what is his character? Compassion. Mercy. Mercy. Forgiveness. Long noses. God invites Jonah to participate in his character. And he does the same for us. That's the invitation of the book of Jonah. It is an invitation for us to participate in God's heart of mercy. You see... God just... We we think of Jonah as a a kind of missionary story. We think of it as God sent Jonah to the mission field. Jonah refused to go. Uh, He got in trouble, and then he went. Right? And so, go the first time. When God calls you to the mission field, go to the mission field. But that's not the point of Jonah. If that was the point of Jonah, we wouldn't have chapter 4. Jonah went to the mission field, and it wasn't enough. Why? Because God did not just want Jonah's compliance. He wanted his motivations. God did not merely want Jonah's obedience. He wanted his heart. He wanted Jonah's heart to share in his own heart of compassion. He wants the same for us. Speaking of the mission field, I lived in Africa for a couple of years, and when I was there, I had a colleague who was from India... Uh, his name is Anand. Is Anand, and Anand is a rabid fan of cricket. And uh, during my time in Africa, we came to be friends, and he attempted to convert me to cricket. And we would spend time. He would have his television, and he would show me, and he would try to explain the game to me, and I came to understand the rules a little bit better. But I was never able to share his passion. God doesn't want us just to understand the rules. He wants us to share His passion. He wants us to know His heart of compassion. His longing for reconciliation. His deep desire to show mercy to people who don't deserve it. He wants us to participate in His heart of forgiveness. Now that sounds nice. I mean, our culture, we like words like mercy. We like words like compassion and forgiveness. Those words are heard positively by most of us. But I want you to realize something. God doesn't call Jonah to have compassion in general. He calls Jonah to have compassion for Nineveh. And remember, Nineveh, was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were brutal people, brutal people, and they used that brutality time and again against Jonah's people, and in the end, they came against Jonah's people and they destroyed the whole northern part of Israel, they ripped people out of their homes and scattered them all throughout the world. You see, God is not calling Jonah to share his passion for puppies. He calls him to have compassion for people who deserve death. He calls him, he calls us, to long for forgiveness for those who don't deserve it, to want mercy and life for those who deserve death. Forgiveness sounds nice until you're harmed, until you're offended, until you're threatened. And then what anger allows us to do is it allows us to erect walls, to erect a boundary wall to protect us and to say mercy goes this far and no further. Forgiveness is this much but no more. But when God calls us to share His heart, He calls us to join a movement of mercy that explodes those boundaries. He calls us to be a part of a movement of mercy that goes where it shouldn't go. He calls us to join in longing for life for those who don't deserve it. And that's extraordinarily difficult. You see, compassion is easy to imagine. It is nearly impossible to live amongst real people. So, what do we do with this invitation? How can we respond to God's invitation into this level of compassion and forgiveness and mercy? How can we, how are we able to respond to that invitation. Well, notice Jonah in the second part of this text, in the second part of chapter 4, he goes through a kind of multi-sensory experience. Okay? He's outside of the city. He wants God's judgment to fall down. He wants God's heat to fall on Nineveh, but he experiences the heat of the desert. And so he tries to build himself a little booth, a little tent to protect himself from the heat, and that's not good enough, and so God causes a plant to grow over him, and it gives him shade. And Jonah moves from being greatly, exceedingly angry to exceedingly glad. But then God attacks the plant with a worm, and the plant dies, and then the sun beats down, and the sun doesn't only beat down, but now a hot east wind blows on Jonah, intensifying the heat, and Jonah is back to being angry, so angry that he wants to die. What is all this about? What what does this mean? Well, we've seen several times in the book of Jonah that repetition is important in this book. And so notice the repetition of the word appoint in verses 6, 7, and 8. God appoints the plant, he appoints the worm, and he appoints the east wind, right? We've heard this word before, haven't we? Chapter 1, God appoints a storm, and then he appoints a fish to swallow Jonah, right? The experience in chapter 4 is being linked to the experience in chapter 1. So notice their similarity. The similarity between these experiences is that God works, he appoints, in judgment and in mercy. The difference in these two experiences is in the order between judgment and mercy. So chapter 1 starts in judgment. He appoints the storm, ends in mercy. He appoints the fish, which rescues Jonah, preserves Jonah's life, and deposits him on dry land. Judgment to mercy. What's the order in chapter 4? It's reversed, right? He starts with mercy. He appoints this plant, which gives Jonah shade. The, The text actually uses the language of salvation. The plant saves Jonah. He starts in mercy and then he moves to judgment. He appoints the worm that destroys the plant. And then he appoints an east wind. And an east wind in Scripture is always the symbol of judgment. Because the wind comes off the hot, dry desert and it brings heat and drought. So judgment to mercy, mercy to judgment. What's God doing? God wants Jonah to remember his experience of mercy. He is connecting him back to the experience of mercy in chapter 1. And he's saying, Jonah, do you want me to change? Do you want me to stop being a God of compassion? A God of mercy? A God of forgiveness? Because that's who I am for you. When I preserved your life with the fish, when I rescued you out of the grave, And gave you new life. I was living out my character, a God who is merciful and compassionate, relenting of disaster, showing steadfast love. Jonah, do you want me to change? Do you want me to remove my mercy? That's who I am for you. Why will you not let me be that for them? God is trying to teach Jonah mercy by reminding Jonah of his experience of mercy. God is trying to teach Jonah compassion by showing him how he has shown compassion to Jonah, how he has rescued his life, how he has forgiven him, how he has shown him steadfast love. He wants to teach him mercy by helping him experience mercy. And that's what we will learn to respond to God's invitation for us to share His heart of compassion. We will learn compassion when we remember and know the compassion that God has shown to us. And so, the book of Jonah takes us back to Colossians. Remember we studied the letter to the Colossians leading up? to the time of Easter, and right near the end of our time in that letter, we saw the Apostle Paul casting a vision for the Christian community, for what it means to live in Christ. And the essence, he says, of what it means to live in Christ is, forgive one another. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. And how does that happen, he says? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, you will learn forgiveness in a growing awareness of how much you have been forgiven. You will learn mercy when you turn to the cross, when you turn to the One who was greater than Jonah, when you turn to the One who jumped into the storm of your sin, when you turn to the One who took the judgment that you deserved so that God could look on you with mercy, so that God could be a God of compassion for you. When you turn and you see the ultimate expression of God's compassion to you in Jesus Christ, that is where you will learn to show compassion to others. You know those safety speeches on commercial airlines before they take off? Hey, you know, like in the unlikely event that cabin loses pressure, you know, these oxygen masks will fall magically from the sky. And what do they always say? Secure your own mask first and then help others. Why? Because you can't help others get oxygen if you're not breathing oxygen yourself. If you're gonna to respond to God's invitation and give others the oxygen of mercy, you have to be breathing the oxygen of His mercy mercy yourself. If you are going to live in forgiving love, you must grow deeper and deeper in knowing how much you have been forgiven how greatly God has loved you, how deep the compassion and mercy is that He has shown to you in Jesus Christ. You must breathe the oxygen of the gospel if you are going to live a life that joins God's movement of mercy. So by way of application... I want you to consider your heart. I want you to consider your life. And I want you to ask this question. Where am I holding on to anger? Where am I holding on to anger? Because you know what? Do you know what holding on to anger is? For someone who is in Jesus, it is an act of forgetting. Because when we hold on to anger, we actively forget that we have been shown mercy. When we refuse to forgive, we actively forget the depth of God's forgiveness shown to us in Jesus Christ. We forget the massive debt of sin that Jesus paid for us. So where are you holding on to anger? What keeps you from living in compassion and forgiveness to those around you? Will you remember the gospel and let it unclench your fist around that anger? Will you let the depth of God's mercy shown? You will you remember that, and in remembering that, learn to join his movement of mercy and forgiveness. The book of Jonah ends in this strange, open ended way. It's a question, and the question's not answered, right? God says, Why, Jonah, should I not show compassion to this great city? And we have no idea how Jonah responded. Do you know why it ends that way? Because as we hear this question, we need to see God looking at us. Looking at us and saying, will you know me? Will you know me as a God who has forgiven an immeasurable debt for you? And will you reflect me in your relationships, in this city, and around the world. Let's pray.